You are listening to episode 155 of the Game Deflators Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody. Here at the Game Deflators Podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we read a book so scary our ancestors went crazy in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. I mean, it only took, what, four tries to get that right? Ant centers. Ant centers. I think we... Everybody. I heard ant centers, <laughs> ant centers. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you've been watching Handmaid's Tale, too. Honor your ant centers. <laughs> Honor your ant centers. Uh, well, Ryan is discussing, uh, or really just kind of calling out Eternal Darkness on the GameCube this Sanity's week. Requiem. It was actually pretty cool. So we'll talk about that in our... In, wrong game. Wrong franchise. Uh, really not a franchise, and we'll get into that a little later, too. Uh, this week, we got some good stuff. Uh, first thing being, uh, of course, our pickups and all that you know, jazz and what we're currently playing, but we'll be talking about uh, Sony creating the PlayStation PC uh, tagline for their brand, uh, Warner Bros. fighting game that got leaked, um, Apple pretty much, which I'm going to, we'll get into more detail on this, but Apple saying that it competes with PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo, uh, and also... Uh, the next Nintendo Switch online console has potentially been leaked. So, all of that to come pretty soon here. But first, our current pickups. Brian, you can go first. Okay, so I didn't pick up anything this week. But, uh, upon recording this, it is still the end of October. And we're at the end of 2021, people. I am checking Twitter every day, every other day, all the time, waiting for a Playdate update drop. Like, I... I got in the first 20,000. I'm going to get it before the end of the year. And the end of the year is almost here, according to the fact that I'm singing Christmas songs in my head all day at work. And we don't even have Christmas music playing. Mariah Carey is defrosting as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I've been all consuming thinking about that. So I haven't bought anything. Uh, Innistrad comes out in like a couple weeks. So I'm kind of getting geared up for that a little bit. Um Let's talk about the one obvious thing I didn't buy this week, and we'll talk some more about some of this a little later on. Uh, Did not get the Nintendo Expansion Pass. Decided I'm not gonna get the Nintendo Expansion Pass. Um, I loved Animal Crossing for what I got from it, but I don't see myself really going hard back at it anytime soon. I can always get that later on down the road if I want, but... There's just nothing that's drawing me to want to get that, at least not right now. So with all the issues and stuff that have kind of come out this week in the discourse about it, like the emulation is pretty poor. There's some slowdown. They did some really awkward changes for things. Like if you've seen the screenshots of the uh, water reflected in like the way late part in Ocarina of Time where you fight like shadow link or whatever on that pool it's like the reflectivity is all gone it's just some whack texture pack now and they took away like the the fog mm-hmm. that they built into a lot of n64 games to keep like you know everything going good so they didn't have to have that crazy render so now things just look odd and out of place it's so weird that you know nintendo's been crushing hard on all these emulation sites and rom sites and stuff over the last few years and they just can't get it right themselves. Like as much as people are, you know, there for the N64 games mostly and them to just not be quality. Like I've never heard of anybody saying there's anything wrong with the quality on the NES and the SNES stuff. 
And I don't think anybody's saying there's anything wrong with the quality on the Sega stuff that's on there either. It's just yeah. Well, N64, I've always heard, is very hard to emulate, though. Dude, I don't know. You can run that shit on your phone. I mean, it it doesn't run perfectly, I guess, on my phone either, and I don't expect it to because I'm running it on a phone. So I guess that is that makes up for it, I guess. But the fact that the quality just isn't really there either, on top of the fact that it's just too much money for not a great enough service bundle. Yeah, I mean, I I really have heard in the past that N64 is pretty difficult to create emulation for. I, I don't know the exact reason why, uh, but it's just something I've heard. Um, I know, in fact, I've actually seen uh, Banjo-Kazooie emulation where everything, like, all the honeycombs have, like, black holes in them. Like, mm-hmm. it's really weird. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe that's part of it. It's just a difficulty tied to that, but... Uh, it just seems odd given that it's Nintendo games, you yeah. know, and Nintendo can't even get it right. Well, or, you know, like do anything to set it up. I was watching somebody talk about this. It might have been Spawnwave. And he was saying, like, you know, they should have added more stuff to this. Like, give us some, like, little challenges or something. Like, remember when we played the NES Remix? Yeah. How cool that was? Yeah, it was fun. It had so much, like, extra little stuff in it. Like, why can't you just, like, make some base achievements or something? Do something. Like, the fact that you did, the only thing that you did was make it worse? Yeah. Not helpful. And then the button layouts are all wonky, from what I have heard, because there's not, like, a great translation for, like, the C-stick and everything. Well, I mean, the brawler controller got it right, <laughs> you yeah. know? Uh, so, you know, it's just Nintendo being Nintendo, I think, and Nintendo fanboys will tell you otherwise. I mean, I love Nintendo, but, you know, at the same time, fans kind of have to, you know, hold that company accountable and call them out when necessary. And there's fanboys that will refuse to do that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hopefully it gets better. Hopefully they correct the issues that they're having and, uh, we can get some good quality, uh, given that's, you know, more money, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, what else... Anything else on pickups? Nothing. Nothing else. Uh, so my pickups this week, uh, I have ordered, so it's come in at some point here in the near future, uh, Innistrad Midnight Hunt set booster. I had not gotten one yet, so I am looking forward to cracking open some packs. It should be here by next week, so um, you know, pending what we're doing, maybe I'll go to your place or something, we can crack them open. Uh, but I'm stoked about that. And then my uh, repro copy of Terra Enigma actually came in, as you and saw. And it looks quite nice. Yeah, it actually does. Like, it, it feels like it was made in the U.S., if, you know, if that's the right way to say that. Because I have picked up some stuff like, you know, knockoffs from over in China, and the quality of those are just not as good. Whoever made this one, I, I got to look it up and, you know, maybe I'll add it to um, you know, one of our Facebook posts or something. But uh, this particular one, very good quality. It looks like he took the shell of an actual like Super Nintendo game, like a donor cart essentially, like and and did that because I've seen some of the like offshoot ones, like third party, you know, donor, like not donor carts, but third party gray carts and the plastic just doesn't feel the same. This mm-hmm. feels like it straight up was a Nintendo cart initially. Um, so yeah, I think it looks good. I'm actually excited to play that one. Uh, I'm God, man, I'm like so all over the place on what I want to do for my new games resolution next year. Me too. Uh, like Terra Enigma has crossed my mind as a possible game. Uh, no Arc better Green time of, than now. Huh? No better time than now. You right? just got it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Arc Arena Time and Majora's Mask are also on my mind to be able to do those. You've never played those? I never beat them. Okay, yeah. So I, I played them when I was younger and just never got through them. So I'm... I, 
What would you play him on? N64. You wouldn't do... Do you have that, like, bonus disc that came with Wind Waker? Mm Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, I've got... Other than the Metroid Prime Zelda combo, I've got all of the Zelda, you know, versions on uh, Metroid on Prime Zelda combo. Yeah, so there's uh, on GameCube. It's actually like one of the most expensive, you know, combos they have. Uh, it is pretty much like Metroid Prime, and then uh, there's like a little crack on the side of it, like in the image, and then it's Zelda as well. Like it's, I think it's Zelda Wind Waker and mm-hmm. Metroid Prime, if I'm correct, the combo hmm. pack. But yeah, that one's stupid expensive. Now. That's like I got the. Uh, I waited forever to get um oblivion even though i really wanted it because i was going to get like the game of the year edition that came with bioshock yeah but it wasn't like the game of the year edition or something it didn't have like the extra stuff that i was waiting for and i was like ah yeah so i dude i'm not sure but i know that uh if i do zelda it'll be both of those games and in the same year i'll be looking to tag Mm -hmm. so i think hour wise are probably what 25 30 hours a piece yeah, so it's about the, the extent of like one good JRPG, which is kind of what I was looking at playing anyways. Right, they're impossible. Yeah. Uh, I'll dive into my uh, currently playing and then go into yours. So I'm, of course, still playing God of War. Dude, it's getting so John is farther better. than I am now. Yeah, officially got further than you are. Uh, for those of you that have played it, I am officially at the point where, well, I'm now just past the point where Atreus becomes a little asshole. Uh, so spoiler ah, spoiler alerts for anybody listening that has not played the game yet. Although it's, you know, I think it came out, what, 2016, 2017? So it shouldn't be a spoiler. <laughs> uh, but pretty much like at some point they're battling uh the sons of thor um one of them comes into um, a specific room i think it's a chamber of tear and you go ahead and fight him off and uh, atreus starts unleashing spartan rage and then he gets knocked out and you go on his whole journey through i think helheim uh to try and find the heart of uh it's like a golem or some sort of guardian uh who oversees uh, souls going into helheim and uh, you bring it back, bring Atreus back, and then inform him that he is also a god as well as uh, Kratos. And at that point, Atreus becomes a little dick and is just like, "Oh yeah, oh like uh, we're gods, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, we can do whatever we want. Oh yeah, these bastards, like we've already killed them. There's nobody that can stop us now. And uh, whenever he shoots arrows, he's like, "Whatever." Like every, yeah. I'm like, "God, I can't stand this kid." Like I just want to be slapped across. He started the face. off as such a nice boy. Yeah, and then it's like you're a god now. He's a dick. So the god of dicks, the god of dicks. <laughs> That's my brother. <laughs> he would admit that too. Uh, yeah. So go check out his page, <laughs> J Rick's art, and uh, you will see why <laughs> his artwork has. Plenty it's just of, like from Super Bad. Yeah, he's got pl- plenty of penis art in there. Um, See, so yeah, and Ryan dropping my damn minis. Here in the uh, recording area. Uh, that'll just stay there the whole episode. It's going to annoy the shit out of me. Uh, but yeah, so that's where I am at with God of War. And then when I'm not playing God of War, thank you, Ryan, for picking it up and, and rolling slowly. Uh, I have been playing, not playing, but messing with... Did you break my... Oh, okay, it's... Oh, you... Uh, that That's my big guy. Okay, yeah, he's fine. So Ryan dropped my mini of a uh, Narzagon, which has like... A Narzgon riding a nightmare. And uh, it's pretty cool for D&D. Uh, but I've been messing with Magic the Gathering cards, as you saw when you walked into my house. Uh, I have, He's got like 30,000 cards out on his table. Uh, excuse me, but that is 20,000 cards that are sitting there. Actually, more like 22,000. Close but, enough. Yeah. Uh, so I've got multiple 5,000 count boxes and uh, multiple piles where I'm sorting by set. 
uh, for my magic cards and then uh, popping them into obviously respective areas. And then from there, once that's all done, I'll be whittling down my collection, hopefully to keep just individual play sets. So I don't need, you know, 30 copies of Llanowar Elves or like 30 copies of some other card. Uh, and all the meanwhile, I am going through, and I didn't show you the app, but uh, there's a, it's called like MTG Scavenger. And mm -hmm. what it does is it pings to like TCG, I think. And it takes, you know, the current market price and you type in, um, basically go down by set and they constantly have it updated and you can select, say you decide you want to select Innistrad and um, uh, what's their name, like Ikoria, right? And then you put in sort by commons and uncommons of values a dollar or more. And so when you load that, it loads up literally like all of the cards. It'd be a dollar or more that fall under the uncommon and common uh, rarity essentially and so when i'm going through these cards i pop them into my different piles and i'm like all right cool like i'll pick up innistrad and then i'll just sort through for all the uncommons and commons that are of value and then kind of go from there mm -hmm. uh so yeah i've been picking out a ton of good crap dude stuff that i didn't realize i had which is actually kind of fun uh as you're going through like for tribal things for instance i picked up numerous elf cards that i didn't realize i had and they're actually of decent value they're like you know six and seven dollar elf cards so it's pretty cool, nice. but that's what I've been doing. So if I haven't been doing God of War, I've been doing that. Um, I see in our notes, I'm kind of scared to ask you, but uh, you're currently playing. So I've reached that point in Metroid where I have all the things. Wait, and so, so this isn't a sign that you have stopped playing it? And I can go on to fight like the final boss and like finish the game. So this is where you stop. Or... I can go run all around the map for like the fourth time to try to pick up any of the little items. I've decided that I'm just going to finish the game. I'm just going to get it over with. It is the weekend before November and November will be the month of Mario finishing my new games resolution for this year. So I'm just going to wrap it up, get it over with. Uh, I spent like 13 hours on a game that takes most people like eight to 11 hours because I kept running around the damn map. At GMTK just came out with a video recently talking about like how you don't get lost in Metroid, and it made me feel a fool. <laughs> you don't get lost in Metroid, Ryan's like, I'll take that challenge. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of YouTube stuff this week, namely Action Buttons Tim Rogers' video on Cyberpunk 2077. This is the ultimate thing for me because I love long form YouTube content. You know, I love uh, listening to somebody just drone on for hours and hours talking about like a game super deep. So what he did is he made a like a prologue video talking about the review and how he did it. And then he made seven different reviews from different angles, like uh, all about the graphics, all about the discourse, what I liked, what I didn't like. Uh, it in the context of like open world games um and then like a, a final like chapter seven that's like an all-encompassing like one that kind of taps on a little bit of everything and is kind of a touch point so he said pick two and then go to the end don't watch all of it straight through so i didn't which means that now i am almost done with my second viewing watching two different middle ones so i started off with watching two and four which was the graphics and what i didn't like and then seven then i watched the prologue again i watched all about the discourse and then the chapter six one which 
was kind of all over the place, but interesting still. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about glasses and jackets, and uh, <laughs> it's interesting. It's it's great video. I've been watching it. I'm going to finish a third watch through so that I will have seen all the middle parts, but it's really cool. Like I've not seen somebody create like a sort of choose-your-own-adventure video series type thing on online like this. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. I'm very infrequently picking up new people to watch. So this could yeah. be a whole side of YouTube that I don't know about. But to me, it seems really creative and interesting and like a whole different dynamic. And I'd like to see more content like that. So, I mean, I don't talk about... I mean, I talk... I must reference like a YouTuber like at least every time we have an episode because I've seen something in the week that's pulled through in the discourse that we're talking about. But that's one thing I would say, like, if you guys are one way or the other on cyberpunk, like you might get something out of this. I mean, I haven't even played it and I've been getting a ton out of it. And I don't even really feel all that like spoiled for like the stuff in the game. I just kind of got to the point where I can watch these types of stuff. And for the most part, like they're not giving away like plot by plot details but it's really good. Check it out. Yeah. It's I mean, like that, 10 hours of content all said and done. Yeah, it's quite a bit. Uh, no, that's actually sounds pretty good. I don't know if I could sit for 10 hours of content because that is 10 hours. I mean, of magic. I've been spreading this out over the week. Oh, dude, but that's 10 hours of magic to gathering sorting. Oh, well, you can always, it's a video. You can have it on the background. What are you doing? You just sitting there in silence with your magic cards? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I totally am, dude. It's actually kind of, it's actually kind of calming. It's creepy. It really is creepy. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's actually kind of calming, dude, because you're just looking through and... And John's house is super dim, too. So he's like half in the dark, in the quiet, just standing there. Well, technically, <laughs> uh, every single light in the house is off when this is occurring because I usually do it at night. And I have the one lamp that kind of hangs over yeah. my dining room table where all this is taking place. So, yeah, I could see how that would be really... You look like a drug dealer creepy. counting his money at the end of the day. Hey, at the end of the day, it is money. <laughs> so, I mean, I am pulling out those money cards whenever I can as far as commons and commons go. I found a few rares, too, while I was at it. Uh, but uh, speaking of choosing your own adventure, you can choose the right social media platform to follow us on. Woo! I say all three. Uh, but uh, Twitter, at Game Deflators, Facebook and Instagram, at The Game Deflators. And, of course, social media, or not social media, that's where you can find us on social media, our website, uh, thegamedeflators.com. And, of course, you can find us on the podcast application you're listening to now and others like Spotify, Podcast Addict, and Apple Podcasts. And, of course, leave those five-star reviews. But on to our first article. Uh, Sony creates PlayStation PC, strengthening its relationship with PC gaming. And this is uh, Molly Taylor at Lo and behold, PC gamer. So uh, really, imagine that. Yeah, imagine that, right? So really, what this is is Sony has pretty much branded uh, PlayStation PC for the games that are going to be on PC. They've already seen uh, Horizon. I think God of War is either on or coming. Uh, you've got uh, what's his face with Norman Reedus. Death Stranding is on there. Uncharted Four is either on or coming. God in. of War is coming. Uncharted Legacy. Uh, there's a number of games that are being brought over. A lot of people are uh, salivating at the idea of potentially Bloodborne and the mods that can happen with that. That'd be insane. Uh, of course, you've already got Dark Souls and stuff, which is third party, but I'm saying from that franchise perspective. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, the article itself kind of notates that only one third of PC gamers actually own a PlayStation. 
uh, and play those games. So I could see this going one of two ways, right? Like I see your notes on here, um, you know, regarding the issue of shortages. But what I really think this is, is Sony is specifically trying to, and I brought this up a while back, they're trying to target that PC audience to showcase through older titles this is what you could have if you were gaming on PlayStation all the time. Like, why wait three, four years from now to get X game when you can get it exclusively on a PlayStation 5 right here, right now, instead of having to wait for it to be ported to PC? Because guess what? Sony owns it. Uh, the other option, of course, could be, as you said on here, shortages and the way to get those games in front of people uh, right away. But then I think that pulls away from the hardware component, which... I can't see Sony like putting out its first party titles and just huge AAA games onto PC automatically just to do it. Like that's going to piss off a lot of existing fans who have consistently gone to Sony for those ex exclusives. Uh, so that's, that's my opinion on it. What is yours? Obviously I call that I some mean, of didn't it. you just explain my I, opinion? <laughs> I did call, I did call out some of it. So yeah. Um, not necessarily that like the PS five shortage this is how they're going to combat it by releasing those new titles on PC. That's not what I mean. I just mean that like now that the PS five is out, I was trying to find statistics and I found like a website that had like some charts on it that I couldn't read, I guess, but I was trying to find out how many PS fours are still being sold. <clears throat> so anybody who wants to play like the old PS four classic, like super titles that they're porting over to PC They've had all the time in the world to buy a PS4. Now that the PS5 is out, it's not like going to be a huge mass of people that are going to be like, okay, now I'm going to buy a PS4. Some people will, but it's a way to at least get those games out to an audience that, you know, if they were going to buy a PS5, they would be able to buy and play these titles with backwards compatibility. It's giving those people an out to be able to still play those titles without having to waste money on a PS4 only to upgrade it to a PS5 later if they haven't already onboarded. Well, I guess the, the other side of this too is like if I'm a PC gamer and I didn't purchase the PlayStation 4 and I currently have no intentions of purchasing a PS5, I am getting that taste of what PlayStation 4 yeah. had to offer. And, you know, with the new God of War coming out in the near future, hopefully next yeah, year. Yeah, nothing sells a sequel like yeah, the it, last great game that was Game of the Year when it came out. Exactly. So it's like, okay, cool. Horizon, God of War, we're going to give that to you PC gamers because we really want you to play the next part of that franchise. Plus, And it's, it's only on PlayStation 5. Plus it's also an avenue that uh, Sony can use to build in advertising for sequels in the future. Like, you know okay, the next God of War, that's getting hyped up. Let's release the last one on PC. Oh, uh, Bloodborne 2 is going to come out. Let's release Bloodborne on the PC. Like, you can always do that to just shoot the discourse right back up about that game and get new life into it right before you drop your new one and tantalize people in. Um, the God, other thing... You, you, you say in Bloodborne 2, just... <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I really wish, dude. That was such a good game. Yeah, the other thing that... Um, I was thinking about with this is that like the PlayStation like games that they're bringing over are all of these like very character centric, you know, large adventurous, like, you know, Horizon, God of War, Ghost of Tsushima, Uncharted, all of those are that same kind of like big main campaign. And I am not a PC gamer. I can't think of an exclusive to PC title 
that carries that type of game. Like a lot of the stuff that you play on PC is stuff that's just like twitchier and you'd rather play it with more control and a mouse or it's like more complex and you want like access to a keyboard. You know, this first class AAA action adventure summer blockbuster system seller, like you need those on PC and hopefully this will inspire, you know, more things to come out on PC, even as like driving exclusives to like keep Sony on their toes. Like it's always a good thing to have really good content in other places because it's going to push the content all across the board, hopefully. So, you know, this might give some other studios like, a, okay, this is what people on PC want now. Let's make more of that. And then maybe those can get ported over to console too. Yeah, no, that's a good point. God, man, I I am really hoping that in 2022, I am able to get a new GPU so I can start playing PC games and we can really start doing some reviews on titles that are like exclusive to PC. I should show you the PC that Tim Rogers' action button news built for his Cyberpunk 2077 uh, like, review. Is it like it's, a stupid build? Dude, he gave himself a budget of $7,777. What? Yeah, dude, it's got like 120 gigs of RAM in it. He he put that much money into it. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. It's, it's insane. I'll show you. Wait, you said seven hundred thousand or seven thousand? Seven thousand. Seven thousand. Yeah, seven hundred thousand. I think that would I be like, like a NASA computer. Yeah, I was like, who the hell needs that for Cyberpunk? Like, come on. It, well, right, you well, know, what? maybe it would fix all the bugs. Maybe it would. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, all right, so the next thing we have here, uh, there was a Warner Bros. fighting game roster that was leaked recently, revealing Harley Quinn, Dude, uh, Shaggy, and more. I know how this so, happened. Huh? I know exactly how this happened. What? Those damn Warner Brothers and their Warner sister Dot. They were up <laughs> in that WB tower, and they left that faucet open, and they just poured all the leaks out. That's what it was. I would add her, um, it was uh, Pinky. Pinky. Or it was Connor Sheridan at Games Radar. Nice, nice. Uh, so Ryan actually brought this up to me while we were like setting up the GameCube to play some Eternal Darkness, and I was like, uh, I had not heard such a thing today as uh, a Warner Brothers fighting game. Well, and, and uh, right off the back of Nicktoons, that was like a week or two ago. Well, and then so he showed me the roster. Actually, if you want to read the roster, because you probably have it open. Okay, so we have an all-star lineup of. Epic proportions that nobody has ever thought. There's some green uh, character we don't know. That's like a main character. Then there's Steven Universe, Batman, uh, Harley Quinn, uh, Jake, and uh, Finn from Adventure Time as separate characters, not as like an Ice Climbers combo. Uh, Shaggy, Superman, Wonder Woman, Gandalf, uh, Rick Sanchez, Bugs Bunny, and then Tom and Jerry as, like, a one character. This is, like, the most bizarre, cool, weird thing. And there's been speculation about it, um, you know, that it might just be, like, some mobile game or, you know, it might not that be that in-depth. But this is, this is what I'm thinking. We're right off the back, like I said, of the Nick fighting game. This is coming out. Smash is done. Like... Poor Sakurai, like, let that man sleep for a while. You know, there's not going to be a new Smash anytime soon. So right now is the perfect time for these other companies to try to put a Smash out there, see what kind of traction they can get, and then refine and develop that and try to release their melee 
aspirational title before the next smash. Like if they can do a good test run, get some quality feedback and fill that void while it exists, you know, a tier two, you know, second project that's successful could lead to a a tier three rival to whatever the next smash might be. And like, I hope they don't make another smash for like eight years. Uh, It'll probably be more like three, but uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, when I saw that character list, I'm still questioning it. Uh, How in the world does Bugs Bunny beat Superman or, or Wonder Woman? Because he can't die. Look, I, I understand, you know, where you said Tom and Jerry, that they're immortal. Tom they and Jerry die. are literally immortal. You yeah. can run them over with, like, a steamroller and they'd be fine. Isn't, I'm trying to think of some other characters. Is Woody Woodpecker? Um, no. No? What about uh, Popeye's not, right? No. Nope. That's not Warner? Um, uh, well, no, Popeye might be Warner Bros. He might be. I don't, I don't know. There's there's lots of stuff that they can do. I'm just do. thinking like of uh, what is it, Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote, because I think they are. Well, WB don't they own, they own uh, Never Realm and oh, uh, Mortal, Kombat. Mortal Kombat? Oh my God, <laughs> Scorpion enters the battle, <laughs> right? Oh my God, can you imagine like a, a mature rated game where Bugs Bunny is just getting like his heart ripped out by Scorpion? Right? Oh, dude, that'd be brutal. I mean. Uh, They've got Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman in here, so I don't know if they're going to throw all the superheroes in there. I mean, there's tons of other cartoons. I mean, they really shouldn't because you have Injustice. Like, why would you? You don't really need to throw them in there. In fact, I don't even know why they're in there. I guess it's more so because of the the bigger name. Well, I mean, it's like, why are there like 19 Fire Emblem characters in Smash? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, you might as well just do Fire Emblem Melee. That's <laughs> right. pretty much it. Like that's what that's what the next game should or, just or be. Or like a Fire Emblem X Marvel or something. Yeah, something along those lines. They could be their own roster, all the Fire Emblem, and then you could pit them against like Street Fighter and Tekken and whatever. Screw this Mario, we'll create our own fighting game. And <laughs> they pretty much could. Yeah, so there's there's lots of interesting stuff uh that could come from this. Who knows when we'll see it or what iteration it'll look like in the end but i mean honestly with as popular as some of these ips are that are just on this little first reveal list i mean that's enough to draw all kinds of different people in yeah you know and who knows what you could do with like downloadable characters and stuff because warner bros is like an ever-expanding ip like anything that they're going to make a movie on they could just like throw a clause in that we want rights to this character for our game and that's like a huge get like you think about how much like how much out of the box thinking you had to do with smash to get like sora and final fantasy 7 characters and like uh street fighter characters you know like that's a lot of like dealing between different entities and putting them in something that was traditionally a showcase of Nintendo IP. Uh, by and the way, make it work. Not just any Street Fighter character, but Ryu, who yes. we interviewed. Uh, so <laughs> go check out that episode. I think it's episode 153 of Kyle A. Bear. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you could so. just add anything to here. Like Goku could have a shot. I don't know if, if WB like produced Dragon Ball Evolution. I don't know. It could have been possible. But I would love to see Master Roshi. 
There we go. That, that's what I want. Master Roshi in there with Rick Sanchez teaming up. Here we go. Yeah. That, Dirty old men. <laughs> that would be the perfect uh, dynamic duo. Uh, but yeah, I think this is pretty cool. We'll have to see, like you said, what iteration it is. Is it mobile? Is it, you know, PC only? Are we looking at console release? Like, what do we got here? Um, I think it'll be interesting on a console or PC basis. If it's a mobile game, I'm probably not going to show any interest whatsoever. Uh, but that all said, let's move into our next piece here, Ryan. And uh, this is Apple saying that it competes with the PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo in a sign of gaming importance. And this is uh, Kiff Lee Swing of CNBC. And so this one in particular, um, you know, a while back, they basically, Apple was saying, oh, yeah, we don't really... Uh, compete against like our main competitor is Google or something like that, which coincidentally Google actually has an agreement with Apple for like their search engine. Uh, so that way, they're I think Google pays them like eight or twelve million dollars a year for to this be agreement. the default. Yeah, to be the default search engine within iPhones or what Bing or Yahoo. Like, what would you do? Like, if they didn't have that deal, like I don't think Apple has its own proprietary search engine. Well, I mean they have Safari, so that's like a. But that's I don't an know. internet application. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't know if there's anything tied to like it they specifically. They literally couldn't have Bing. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Even if, like, Google's kind of dumb. Why are you going to pay Apple 8 to $12 million a year? Because nobody's Everybody's going to use Google anyway. Right? Like, you don't have to be the it's just It's just market share. They just don't want you. They don't want the people who won't switch from default to have to make that choice to switch from default. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I get it. And, like... You know, you don't want Microsoft swooping in and putting Bing on iPhones, given the the consumer base. I totally get it, but you know, if if Bing was my default when I if I were to get an iPhone, which I never will ever again, uh, guess what I would be doing? I would be installing Google as my default. I don't know, man. Come you on. can't talk to me about this stuff. I bought a Zune. You bought a Zune. Oh, <laughs> I've been. The, I tried Bing for a while. <laughs> I used to use Google Ways, oh. like like that underground tech, man. Oh man. So here, let me just uh, point out here that I didn't know that like corporations had to declare like their competitors. Well, I, I didn't know that was like a thing because this was like a an update from the Apple Epic lawsuit, wherein like they make so much money from that that the judge basically said you guys have to like change the way that you talk about how you represent like yourself in the industry because you are like a player here and you have to like declare that i guess yeah and that's what i was kind of thinking when i was reading through this is uh you know apple they said made 64 billion dollars off of their app store and like 70 of, of that, other people's work yeah and then 70 percent of that was actually mobile gaming do they even need to make iphones like i guess you need a place for people to buy those apps on yeah i guess but like what's even the point oh well, point is status symbol i guess i don't know like I, I get it you know but this is this is exactly my point so apple iphone is like a status symbol i wrote all this down i was very proud of this so like they don't compete with Nintendo and Microsoft and Sony on like a hardware level. Like lots of people mobile game, mobile games are actually like the most popular games in the world. They've got more downloads and players than any console game, like except for maybe Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, cuz the install base is so yeah. much higher. But so like they the what people want from like a console game is not the same experience. Yeah. Now, there are gaming phones, and Apple directly competes with those, but, like, the apps and stuff, like, those are pretty... 
across the board. Like people don't buy an iPhone to game on. People buy a Switch to game on. And even though like that is a much closer comparison for hardware competition between those two platforms, but people go to Nintendo for the games. Nobody buys an iPhone for Apple Arcade. Well, I mean, they might, but that wouldn't be the right move. But it's like, that's the thing. Like, they make money off of other people making games and hosting them on their platforms. All the other people that are in the industry that are actually competing are making games. They're making, uh, you know, first-party games as premier runners on the hardware like apple might like publish some stuff but like they're not like a first party studio they're not really doing that type of thing so it's like i get if legally they have to be called like a competitor because of all the money that they make and their market share but like honestly it's kind of insulting to like give them that much credit when they just get money from other people doing stuff. I mean, true. But if you kind of look at like, say for example, if Sony didn't have any first party studios and they were the vessel for that gaming that was occurring on the con, like for that console, right? Like, Hey, publish all your games, put it on our console, we'll put it out into the market. And then that's going to be a PlayStation. I mean, I can kind of see in a sense where Apple does need to be considered a gaming competitor because there are people that are making, games that are either like exclusively Apple, there's games that are only mobile. So, you know, in those instances, that is the vessel for that gaming, which I think would dictate that they are part of that gaming competition and ecosystem. Uh, That's really where I would see that. Uh, But I I do agree with you at the same time though. Um, You know, this is probably more for legal purposes. you know, they were at one point, they were trying to consider Apple a monopoly uh, because of the whole Epic Games issue. It was deemed that they weren't actually a monopoly uh, when all is said and done. But I think this is, you know, just a way to kind of get around that, make sure that they, you know, go through all the hoops and everything that they need to to ensure that they don't have another like Epic situation happen again. So, uh, but, you know, let us know your thoughts on this. Um, you know, do you think Apple is a gaming competitor to that of uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo? Um, you know, I, I kind of think they are at the end of the day. Uh, but let us know in the comments. All right, Ryan. Our last one here before we get into some Eternal Darkness. Uh, the next Switch online console has been potentially leaked, and it is uh, Tyler Fisher at comicbook.com where we read this one. So... This one's a little wonky, so it kind of gets into like back-end code and stuff that is within, you know, Nintendo's coding. And uh, we've we've had this in the past where like different things have been leaked because of things that have been seen on the back-end. This actually is uh, one of the reasons that like the 4K Nintendo Switch had even come about in like rumors years, or I guess like last year, uh, in that something was found in the coding that could indicate that, hey, there's going to be, you know, an upcoming Switch based on X reasons right yeah and so this if you look at the coding they showed uh there's various numbers like one through five or something and when you look at the code you could tell that like two on the back end uh is snes and like three is specifically like uh n64 n64 and then there's one for like nes whatever but there's a four is missing in there so mm-hmm. people are speculating uh the next one is going to be uh game, game boy, boy or GameCube is another option that could potentially be um there's also uh man if they can't get n64 running on there how are they going to get gamecube 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, the other thing on the back end too is when you look at uh, the titles on each of those, they actually have like a sequence on various numbers, like one through whatever, like 90 or something like that uh, for like N64. And you can actually guess the games that are going to be coming out uh, over time based on that sequence of numbers and like what Nintendo yeah, should be releasing. It's cool because it's like alphabetical and then numeric. You could tell how many slots there's going to be. So we've got an idea of like, where they're expecting to cap out their releases, at least for the foreseeable future. And you can like go in and like all the games that would be worthwhile to release that people would want to play, people have already gone in and kind of refined these lists pretty far down. Like me and John were looking earlier and I was like, how many N64 games are there? Like a hundred or so? There's like 393, which is a lot. And then I was like, okay, what about PS1? Higher or lower? Higher. Like 7,000. Is that just North American releases or is that no, everything? No, I think everything. it's like everything. But I've always heard that like N64 had like a pretty small library. Like that's why when you're like, oh, what what's like an RPG? I don't know, Quest 64? And that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> there's not many. Um, but yeah, so I guess let's talk about kind of what we would anticipate to be that next, you know, console. They, they mentioned Definitely Game, Game Boy. Boy. Huh? Definitely Game Boy. I think GameCube, to be honest. I think GameCube has... And, and the reason I'm, I'm thinking GameCube too is while I was reading the wiki for Eternal Darkness, kind of get a little more of that backstory, uh, Nintendo actually, July 31st of this year, uh, just went ahead and redid their... Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, trademark of the game. So Eternal Darkness, it actually had... Uh, there was a period of time where it like it ceased to exist oh, like as a lapsed. trademark. For, yeah. So it was no longer a trademark for Nintendo, and Nintendo just read that trademark. So, you know... We should have bought it. We should have bought it. <laughs> Can you imagine if we bought the trademark of Eternal Darkness? <laughs> we own Eternal Darkness! Yeah. Contact the us. game deflators. <laughs> I wish. In the year 2092. Uh, but that's kind of where I see it going. I think there's a, a lot more hype that could come from that. Like... Can you just imagine, like, on a digital basis, Melee? Super Smash Bros. Melee on there. Dude, you could play Look, Ultimate. I know you can play Ultimate, but there are people that love the GameCube version. They're still flipping tournaments specifically for the GameCube version of a game. Yeah, but, like, I mean, like, the way that they came down and, like, crushed those tournaments for adding, like, online. Yeah, I get it. Like, but I what? guess it would solve that problem. Like it would, it would do a lot for the melee community to just have like a sanctioned way to play, so that Nintendo would stop fucking with them. And it's all there. I mean, it, you can you can play with GameCube controllers via Switch using you know the adapter. Yeah, you would have access to it. Uh, there's family accounts now that you can do. So like you can theoretically have a group of friends who have a family account for Switch. Dude, everything's asking me about family accounts now. YouTube's like, hey. You want a fam? No, I don't want a family account. <laughs> You're like, I don't even want a family. <laughs> Let I want to be alone account. with my YouTube. Leave me alone. <laughs> no family on my YouTube. Uh, but yeah, I can see GameCube being the next one. Eternal, like Eternal Darkness in there would be pretty cool, man. To you know, potentially, I don't think they're going to upgrade the graphics, but they could take an approach of that nature. Okay, so know? if they make if they make GameCube. Do they release the GameCube version of Resident Evil 4 again? <laughs> that would be funny. You know, it's sad as people would actually buy it if they if it was a purchase aspect. Who knows? Ryan would replay it, though. Like, I, would, I, I played it on dude, GameCube. Dude, they just... And... Oh, I really want to play the RE4 VR. Oh, really? Yeah, but I don't want to get an Oculus Quest 2 because I just saw, like, a thing about, like, an Oculus Quest Pro already in the rumors. PSVR 2. 
I'll just wait for that. It'll come out on that too, most likely. Yeah, but dude, that's like a whole PS5 purchase away from here. Eh, save your money. Uh, so, uh, let us know what you think the uh, the next console will be. But dude, like you know, like I said, when it comes down to Game Boy or GameCube, I think GameCube has a lot more hype. I think it's a little more revered with the Nintendo. GBA fan base. would be the best. GBA would be cool, but I don't think that they're gonna do GBA. Maybe GBA <laughs> and a virtual adapter that you can plug into your virtual GameCube. Right. right. You know, they make the GBA and the, like e-reader is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> New e-reader cards. That'd be pretty badass, actually. All right. So, on to this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. We played Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem for the GameCube. This is by developed by Silicone Knights. Not Silicone Knots, as I wrote. Damn it. I was hoping that... See, I would have read that as Silicone Knots. I would have been pissed. Uh, publisher Nintendo. Uh, designers Brad Firminger and Ted Traver. Uh, released back in... June 24th, 2002. It's an action-adventure psychological horror. It's got nines across the board. This is a top-tier title. 132 out of 40. Yeah, people people love this game. I'd never played this game before today, but I've always heard amazing things about it. I've always heard cool things about, like, people love to talk about the sanity meter uh, I didn't really know anything about like the story or what was going on until I watched, I think Pro Jared was doing like a playthrough a year ago or so, and I watched a little bit of that. Um, but basically, you're... Um, Alexandra Royvas. Yes, and you come to find that your grandfather has been like murdered, and you don't know why and the cops are dumb so you're going to figure it out. So you go exploring around his spooky big mansion and you find this spooky book and you read all about these like past either lives that you iterated in or ancestors or just other people. I don't know exactly what the connection is with them, but not at this point. Yeah. You uh you play through their stories like the first one you're like an ancient Roman centurion like going Pious. through a crypt. Yeah. And then in the second one, you're uh, some girl in some jungle temple, and you run into that guy there in this like deep room with this big monster with all these eyes and stuff. It's a pretty standard like you know action adventure. Um, well, it's a psychological horror. Yeah, you you got a sword. You're fighting zombies. Not super involved combat. You don't have like combos or anything. Uh, you do get some spells later on, and at certain points you get like different weapons, but there's like traps and puzzles to figure out. Uh, it's got a great eerie tone to it. Uh, all the sound design is really cool. I, I really love the aspects of the, um, <clears throat> you know, where the volume just kind of lowers on screen, all these different voices are speaking. Uh, that's pretty cool. Like, I forgot that you had told me, like, hey, this is in this game, like, the volume lowers and stuff automatically. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And as it was happening, I saw the meter. I'm like, what the hell's going on? With it the pops screen? up like an old CRT, like, volume down. It yeah. looks out of place now because that's not what volume. Yeah. Like, it's so crazy the things that visually change in, like, design language. Like, nobody would ever put, like, a big neon green bar counter for volume on a tv anymore i know when that was going on i was so confused dude. i'm like that's not the volume but okay and yeah then i realized what was happening uh so that was interesting it's cool and they uh they got a lot out of that meter like once we were like 
all our sanity was gone and like the room's like rocking like you're on a boat and it's got all this creepy noise and it was like it really pulled me in like I wasn't even playing at the time I don't think I think you were playing at the yeah, time I but I was like like totally invested in the experience of it it does a lot visually to add to it it's got all these great bizarre angles and like you know stuff that you're seeing from the like cinematography that's what i'm looking yeah. at the cinematography of it is really like next level compared to you know you'd had like resident evil and stuff by now and this definitely adapted those fixed angle camera perspectives and did them in very interesting ways. I I had quite a fun time with this game. It's not a super long game. Yeah, it's only about 12 to 13 hours. We finished like two or three chapters, I think, uh, while playing. And, you know, while the controls are a little bit sluggish uh, for this game in particular, it does play very much like a Silent Hill uh, title. And, uh, you know, for those that played Silent Hill, you understand the, the third person view perspective and you know, how it can kind of be sluggish when attacking enemies and whatnot, but you do have your puzzle elements that you have to to take advantage of and, and try to solve uh, for, you know, in this instance, the, uh, the manner that you're in. Um, there's some really weird puzzles. Like, there was one that said to find, like, the secret door, you had to put a grandfather clock at exactly 3.33 oh, This was, PM. like, the first puzzle that we did, and oftentimes when we're playing the games, like, we don't know anything about them, and we don't have all day. So we've started getting into the habit of being like, let's just look it up instead of wasting our whole time on this first level. It didn't even say in the guide how to find the information to know that you have to set the grandfather clock to that time. Like we weren't paying the most attention during the opening cutscene, So maybe the cop was just like, I don't know, try the grandfather clock in the back. It might be 333 or something. Who knows? Yeah, I think at some point, you know, somebody probably said, yeah, he died at like 3.33 p.m. or some shit like that. But, uh, you know, at at the end of the day, that is a very weird puzzle. Uh, There were several others that we had seen that, um, like, there were some mirrors for a giant telescope that you're supposed to be turning, and there's I think that's just something we didn't have the info for. Yeah, exactly. And that might be the same with the the grandfather clock. I mean, maybe just we missed a clue or something. But that was like the very first thing we did. I know. That's what was crazy about it. Uh, well, no, there was another one, too. Like, we were supposed to find a key and then go oh, to a door. Oh, you did find a key. I found a key, but there was supposed to be another key that's supposed to break, and I didn't find that one. So I guess uh. there's things you can miss that aren't super critical to the game. But that was a critical component of the game, so that's why I found it odd that, like, exactly 3.33 p.m., like, I can understand, I guess because it's half of 666, mm. maybe that's why. Oh, um, there's not 66 minutes. Actually, is it 3.33 to witching hour? Or is that 2 a.m.? I forgot. I don't know, man. I know that you could fight dragons best just at dusk, though. Because for some reason, they can't see good then. Yeah. Let me just look this up. What is the witching hour? Uh, 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. Riveting. Yeah, riveting stuff, right? Uh, um, so, yeah, maybe maybe it's tied into that in some capacity. Uh, but, you know, you did mention the uh, Tome of Eternal Darkness, and you mentioned it's this great, big, grand book. Uh, the one thing to consider is it's just like the, uh, what is it, the Necronomicon or yeah. Demonomicon, um, where it's actually human flesh <laughs> that creates this book. Uh, so you just kind of walk up in this room, and you're like, oh, look, this glowing book that's kind of random and created with human flesh. Let me open it and see what happens. And that's where you kind of get these chapters in the book. And uh, like Ryan said, going into these different eras. Um, 
We obviously didn't get super deep, but the weaponry in this game is actually fairly interesting. So depending on the era in which you are playing these characters, uh, depends on the type of weaponry you're using, So, which is kind of obvious, but uh, it's interesting to flip through it, right? So you might be playing one character where it's a short sword, one character you might be using a crossbow, and then all of a sudden you're using a shotgun with another character yeah. down the road. So having to kind of go in between that can be difficult. So the game actually does a very good job uh, from a control standpoint of allowing you to target specific areas of the body. So no matter what, when you get to that point where you have to flip quickly from, oh, I was just using a sword to now I'm using a gun, you can very you know quickly adapt on, all right, cool, as long as I'm holding down that that R2 you got button and then hit my power, you know, my, my shot or whatever it is, my attack button, I'm going to be able to hit the enemy. It's just a matter of range. Yeah, so... I think it's a pretty cool concept overall. I did like the the meters as well. Um, I did think it was interesting that as you lose blood, uh, your character slows down to like almost a limp. So if you don't have any healing, you're pretty screwed. Yeah, there's definitely like a a cool devolvement of your character visually with their health. Yeah, which not all games do. Um, I mean, they still keep the HUD of, like, the life meter on there, so it's not like you're going purely off of just the way you look. Also, the most demonic healing spell I've ever seen in a game. Like, seriously, Hayden, or Satan is healing you. Well, I mean, it's pretty much blood, if you think about yeah. it. Like, it's a blood spell, blood ritual that's being cast. Uh, but to kind of dig into, like, the history of this game, in a sense, too, because, uh, you know, we did mention, like, the, the patent or trademark that was, you know, refiled on this, but the game itself critically did not do very well. It sold under, I think it was under a half million copies uh, worldwide. And 15 years ago, <laughs> some of the information that was on here, but they said Japan had sold under 20,000 uh, copies of their game or their copies. So it's not exactly the most common of games uh, to find out there. Uh, because of its lack of success, a sequel was actually scrapped and the studio uh, intended to make a like spiritual successor because Nintendo owned a trademark uh, for this particular game. They wanted to do a spiritual successor, had several Kickstarters that just ended up failing. And Which is weird. Like As much as I've heard good things about this game forever, yeah. I, I can't believe like so many things get like the Kickstarter bump. Yeah. I can't believe that this didn't. I like mean, Shenmue? Like, this well, was at least as big as Shenmue, I thought. Well, yes, but at the same time, like, Dreamcast is a whole different animal, I feel. Shenmue was, like, the big thing on Dreamcast. Like, it was ahead of its time, and there was a lot of praise for that game when it came out. And Shenmue 2 was, you know, while not as successful, I guess, and neither really was Shenmue, because Dreamcast wasn't successful. But I think there was a little more, I guess, a lot more rabid fans specifically okay. for that game, right? Whereas... This particular game uh, was supposed to be like a launch title on GameCube. It got delayed numerous times. It finally got released. It wasn't a huge success. It's a mature rated game, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think it's mature rated on the GameCube. Not some, like It's just not one of those titles that people get it's excited about. It's not for everyone. Well, neither was Shenmue, <laughs> but like, people just don't get excited for Eternal Darkness. Like If you look at... Um, and you know one that actually surprises me, I got that Kickstarter bump, was... Um, Ayudan Chronicles, the you know spiritual successor to successor successor to the uh, Sukunen series. Ah, uh. so that I'm surprised got such a huge Kickstarter bump. So like when games like that are able to get the bump, but something like this doesn't, there has to be a reason why. And I think that's more of that. This had probably more of a cult following, 
and wasn't as popular yeah. as some of his other games. Uh, and that would explain it. Um, but yeah, they were trying to do like 12, four hour, you know, mini games or something like that, or, or mini parts to it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think as well of Kickstarter is either maybe it wasn't as popular at that point in time when they were trying to do it. Uh, and now they're out of business. Um, and the other part just could be that people just didn't have trust in that studio to pull it off. Yeah. To say, hey, we, you know, yeah, we can back it. But at the end of the day, what happens when the studio goes bankrupt, right? You're out your money that you put in for this game, which is one of the reasons I'm not a huge fan of using Kickstarter, yeah. unless I trust the company that's putting on the, the product or game. Uh, but brass tax, sir. Brass tax. Uh, complete in box is going to be 7171. Um, Wait, hold on. Yeah, the peak, you have it wrong here, but it was like 90 plus dollars, I yeah. think you said, in a June of 2021. Oh, I have these reversed. Okay, so its peak was $111.23 in April of 2021, and that has dropped sharply down. Uh, so, you know, somebody way overpaid, but in general, I mean, it is down. Uh, loose, you're looking at 64.53. That peaked at 70.35 back in June 2021, and that is also going down. So, I mean, I don't know if we're on the other side of the bubble or what, but I mean, there's not a ton of copies of this game. I mean, game prices are going to go up over time. Maybe now's not the bad time to pick it up. This is definitely one that's worth having. Maybe it's one of those things that. You know, kind of like we were just saying with the Kickstarter. It's not a super popular game. Not a lot of people played it. Not a lot of people know about it. It's not very common. And it's just one of those titles that, yeah, it shot up because you have those people like, oh, yeah, I played that game. I really want to buy it again. So it skyrocketed for a short period of time. But maybe a bulk of the people that actually wanted this game, you know, either are A, collectors like myself and already owned it, or B, wanted to play it again at some point in time, and they've already picked up their copies. Or they just have no interest in paying an exorbitant amount of money for it now. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're going to see the games like, uh, you know, like the Mario games and such are going to stay up in value. Zelda and such, I think, will stay up in value for a bit because those have a greater following, despite the fact that they've sold a crap ton more copies than this. Um, well, uh, looking at the information we have here, um, given where GameCube games are at, uh, at their ridiculous rates, you know, complete in box at seventy-one dollars. Realistically, it's not too bad. Yeah, it's not bad when you really start comparing it to a lot of the GameCube games out there, and that's what twenty dollars higher than what it released for back when the GameCube came out. So, I mean, when we really start talking about uncommon games that are in the market, uh, you know, for all consoles in general, uh, this is one that when you read the price to me as like seventy-one dollars, I was shocked that it wasn't higher. At well, this point in time. And one thing I've definitely learned this month, and you know, we don't always have these great takeaways, uh, horror games can be expensive. Like horror games are not the most sold, they're not the most, you know, available. Uh they tend to hold up fairly well over time. They do different things than a lot of mainstream games, you know. Of all the horror stuff that we've played, you know, not just this month, but like overall, I've enjoyed, I would say, a larger portion of those games compared to just our general picking of games. So I think that, you know, investing your money in collecting, you know, uncommon horror games 
it tends to pay off over time. So I would definitely say that, you know, this is probably just right where it's at. And keep your eye out for, you know, whatever could be the next big horror game because you could probably get it for a really good deal when it comes out and then just watch it grow over time. I'm going to be shocking to you here. I'm going to say that this price is deflated. So I think... At, be still at, my heart. Uh, I, <laughs> so where the current GameCube market is at and the quality of this game... John we're goes talking, to a Goodwill. No, man, I'll give you 50 for it. <laughs> no, I picked, dude. I picked this game up for like fifteen dollars years yeah, ago. Yeah, but you wanted to pay more. Yeah, sure. He just wouldn't take it. He was like, "No, I won't take the extra money. I won't take the extra money." No, uh, no. This particular game, you know, given it's not a bad game, it's nines across the board for the most part, nine plus across the board, and it's in a crazy GameCube market where just everything is expensive, and this is only seventy bucks right now. I say is deflated. I think it probably should be more in today's market. You think that, it should be up at that 111? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it should be from like, you know. <laughs> it could be. It could be. And that's where I think that right now this game is deflated. It's a great game. Uh, there's a lot of praise for this game over the years. People have wanted a sequel, but it's not super popular. Uh, I think at 70 bucks, you'd begin to steal right now. Uh, for this game. I think it's totally worth it. There you go. What's spookier than that? What's spookier than that? Yeah, right? Trick or treat, Ryan? Was this a trick or treat? <laughs> Definitely a treat. Definitely a treat. Cool. But it's full of tricks. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, all right. Well, let's put in our rating here. I guess we can put in a... I don't know. You can put in just right for this one if you want. All right. Well, uh, we start... Well, when you hear this, it'll be November 1st. So spooky month will have been over, but this will have thankful been a month. Thankful. <laughs> what the hell are we gonna play? I think last. I'm gonna year be we, thankful for Mario. We play, and John's gonna be thankful. I finally doing my thing. I really am. I think we played Wampum last year during Thanksgiving. Oh no. So <laughs> I don't. That think, was two years ago. Or two years ago. Sorry. Yeah, that was a good game though. Uh, we'll have to find some. That was a hard game. I did not do well on that one. I did great. Uh, did. I think we need to find some like Thanksgiving element games. Uh, so I don't know what I have that involves turkeys or anything like that. There's got to be like a hundred shoot the turkey games on Wii. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we don't do a Thanksgiving month because like, no, we are, we a, don't, we're a global podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so we do have plenty of people in the, uh, in the UK that may not appreciate. I think <laughs> what, we got plenty of people well, right here who don't appreciate it either. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I'm in for the food. I'm in for the food. Yes. And, uh, Yeah. But our friends in the UK might be like those damn traders. Yeah. Don't want to listen to them anymore with their Thanksgiving games. Yeah, we'll figure something out. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll play one of the uh, NES mini games. We'll figure it out. NES games, yeah. All right. Well, this has been episode 155 of the Game of Flavors podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.